Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. It is the Scott Thompson Home Show. Welcome to our home. We are broadcasting live from uh, Studio Thompson, and uh, Will uh, Will is back at the station and make, making sure everything stays on track, doing all the real tough work and uh, making sure you've got something to hear coming out of the other end. And we thank him for that uh, as well. Liz Russell, Will Erskine and, Les, and Liz Russell, two uh, outstanding producers that uh, help us put this show on uh, every single day. And we're greatly appreciative to them for all of that and the work that they do. Feel Aww. free to jump into the conversation. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm far enough away I can do a group hug. Uh, anyway, uh, feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. You can send us a note via uh, the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Let's bring in Henry Jasek, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University, and he is with us now. Henry, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Happy to be with you, Scott. And Henry, let's talk first about Canadian Parliament. And, and you know, uh, again, I think it's great the way they've all been working together up until now, the first six weeks of this, five, six weeks of this. Um, but sooner or later, the opposition needs to ask some questions. Are you surprised we haven't been able to figure this out yet? And, and yesterday is an example of that? Yeah, I, I think it is difficult because it is, you know, they haven't done this before. So there's there's a lot of, you know, steps where, there's, you know, maybe a couple steps work right, and then a couple steps don't work right. And, yeah, so there's just, you know, I, I, I sort of think that this is probably what I would expect. But uh, but nonetheless, we can keep, you know, both both the opposition, but, of course, the uh, the, the journalists like yourself, uh, you know, should are out there, too, telling them how they can do things better, and they ought to listen. Is it is it just us that are that are being cranky about this? I mean, uh, again, everybody wants to know we're rowing in the same direction and, and, and they're looking out for our best interests, especially in around health. But how important is it for opposition to be asking some questions as well? Yeah, I think they should. I mean, it is. There's no. I mean, although there are some great questions, and I was listening just, of course, very recently to the questions to the premier, uh, and and they asked that to the prime minister as well. But you know, they get one shot for the most part, and they can't be too sharp because there's you know they have to look act professional and not mm-hmm. like they're taking you know one side or another. But of course, the the opposition to the government can ask you know ask a you know have some other more than one question or uh, or follow up on a whole topic and then uh you know and try to get to you know to to something that is really important and drill down on it and that and that's very necessary in parliament uh, in our system of government i think probably in any democratic form of government you know uh p- politicians who don't agree with the government who are outside their role is to ask the tough questions and really pursue them and uh and if anything to say, they could do show how they could do better. And obviously, that doesn't make the uh, the politi- you know, politicians in power very happy. But that that but that's democracy. And you know, after uh, this started late afternoon, I was watching bits of it while I was on the air, and then continued to watch it after I was finished. And to, I was quite impressed because there there's a very small amount of people there they're mm-hmm. they're greatly spaced out and not only that there was no shenanigans it was just the leaders asking questions we didn't hear all the hoopla and the mm-hmm. booing and cheering and all that other nonsense that goes on and, and i thought it was quite productive i mean is there no reason why this can't go on on certainly a much more regular basis well i think part of it is is one of numbers if you have a smaller group i think you can have a more civil conversation 
but if you pack two or three hundred people in there, uh, then then you have a cheering section for whoever is speaking, and it, it's hard. It's gotten, and it's, in some places it's gotten worse. Certainly, it's gotten worse at the Ontario level, and at times, you know, it's gotten fairly raucous at the at the federal level. So yeah, it's it's. I think it's really a problem of numbers. The, when you start to have a you know a large audience uh, who can join in on the on the conversation, I do think it gets a bit out of hand. And you know, it seemed that everybody was talking. Uh, you know, when all of this was going down, and and you know, a couple of days ago, and how they were all going to come all come back if we don't make a decision, and la 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 la, which again just made my head spin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, the issue isn't necessarily what they're talking about Mm -hmm. the issue is they want opposition wants the opportunity to ask questions the rest of the stuff is just politics and window dressing at the end of the day Mm -hmm. the opposition want to be able to ask questions how many sittings should there be a day or sorry a week uh should there be you know whether it's real or or live or or whether it's virtually how many times a week should they be doing this well in a a virtual i mean they could do it as often as you do your radio program yeah, yeah, I mean, there's no reason why they can't do it five days a week, four days a week. Uh, uh, there's no, I, I can't see. I mean, I don't understand that there could be a, why there shouldn't be that type of situation. Uh, but uh, oftentimes, you know, the governments do look for opportunities at times to sort of, you know, do, dodge situations where they have to answer questions. And and then in a crisis like this, uh, you know, they're essentially maybe trying to make use of it by sort of limiting the amount of questions they're going to get from the opposition. And uh, I, I think that's a natural impulse, but it has to be resisted. Uh, and, you know, uh, we doing what we do, meaning Bill, Bill Kelly and myself, we're right. listening to these press conferences every single day, and it's pretty easy to see now after six weeks, mm-hmm. things have really settled down. Mm-hmm. And and the press conferences are going a little shorter than what they used to mm-hmm. go. Uh, and, and there's always something that happens that can throw a, you know, a stick into the mix there and change things around. But for the most part, they're coming out, they're announcing maybe one new thing that they're doing mm-hmm. or in addition to something they've already announced. And then they just, it's repetitive, the same stuff over and over and over again. So now that things have settled down, is it time to go to the next stage of this and, and, and again, go beyond uh, the black door and, and, and actually conduct some sort of reduced setting? Yeah, well, I, I would agree with you on that for sure. And I do agree with you. It is, it is now we're seeing things repetitive. If, if anybody uh, sat through every question that was asked of the prime minister and the premier over those sessions, yeah, you would be getting pretty bored right now. So uh, with the answers, the questions are actually often good. It's the answers that are the, the things that are getting boring. Yeah, and that's obviously why there's being uh, the need for and the opposition speaking up about questioning. Now, where what do you think the public is on this? Do you think the public still wants the warm and fuzzy, or and you know we're still not through this? We still got to row together, or do you think the public wants to know the answers to these questions? Well, I think the public does want to have know the answers to these questions, uh, and uh, you know they are. I think certainly in Canada, and I also think in the U.S. as well, the public is supportive with the political leaders, you know, I think a majority in all the countries think they're right now that in general, uh, their political leaders are doing the right thing. Leave Trump out of it. Uh, He's not doing all that well. But certainly uh, many of the politicians and, of course, the public health leaders uh, in the U.S., but our our politicians here, I think people are quite happy. And, you know, they they for I mean, I do think both at our federal level, our provincial level, 
they did they have forgotten that both of our leaders were a little slow off the mark here. We did waste February in the beginning of March, I think, and uh, that's been all uh, forgotten. Uh, you know, at the provincial level, it was Thursday before the March break. Uh, our premier didn't sound like he sounds now. He's telling everybody, "Go on your March break, go down yeah. south, enjoy the sun, Use the don't worry yeah. about, the, don't worry about the COVID." Uh, and then it was early the next week. Finally, he gets caught up and starts, you know, listening to the medical people, you know, the health people. And well, yeah, they closed the schools right the next And he day. changed yeah. right away. But he should have yeah. done that uh, a month earlier. Yeah. And then, uh, oil prices hitting zero. Uh, and below how zero. astounded are you? Yeah. Below zero. You want, to, you want some oil? That, you know, I, we can probably find a, a guy who wants to sell you, uh, who wants to uh, get, you know, sell you some oil if you give him, you know, $30 a barrel or something for it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it what, do you, what are your thoughts on where that is? I mean, we know. I mean, it, it, it's both. It's, it, I mean, it, it really shows you how much our economy is closed down. That in fact, people are just not traveling anywhere. They're not using gasoline. Uh, and uh, I mean, we had quite a bit of a glut, a glut in, it in, in you know in North America to begin with, but it wasn't. But now it's really just fallen right through the floor. And I, and also we know. I mean, to look on the bright side of this. Uh, you know, a lot of our cities, and it's not only here, uh, but also in many other countries, the air is much cleaner. Yeah, because we yeah, know one see. of the major, one of the you know one of the probably one of the mo- major, if not the major, uh, you know, contributor to the to bad air in our cities are, are auto- automobiles, so all, all motor vehicles, and we know that, including uh, lawnmowers. <laughs> but uh, but we don't, and but you shut them off, and you know things change very dramatically. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Shots over China from space because the factories had been closed down. Right. And you, you could actually see it was bizarre. That's right. Uh, your and, thoughts uh, on... Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, sorry. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, there have been some other interesting things like this in the past. I don't know if your listeners would be interested in this. When, you know, when they put up the, uh, the long uh, fencing between East and West Germany uh, a number of years ago, right? right I guess it was, it was about 65 years ago, and they put it up, and they had a strip of land between the two countries. Suddenly, within that strip of land, they, that part of Europe reverted to the type of wildlife and, and, and fauna, and that is plants, that they had had uh, before there was any you know, advanced civilization uh, in, in Europe. So it's, it's interesting to see sort of uh, you do something and sort of the, the, the primitive world takes over, and, some, and it looks really good because it's refreshing and, and, and original. So this and this was happening here with the uh, with with the you know the drop in pollution. Now we all know this is not going to continue. It can't continue yeah. because we are we are industrialized you know societies and highly mobile. So we we can't live live without you know on the level of trips we're taking now. So it is going to end. But it is interesting to see you know this side effect, which is for the time being is pleasant. Uh, your thoughts on uh, what is happening south of the border? Um, uh, we remember that uh, the, the president was was trying to get things opened uh, as early as he possibly can. Some resistance, uh, not only from health officials, but from from states as well. Um, it seems odd that while all this is going on, he's announced he's going to suspend all immigration. 
uh, into the U.S. So as he's opening up business, he's uh, closing the borders. It's a little odd timing to be doing this, although that being said, we've certainly heard that uh, Air Canada has just announced they're suspending the rest of their flights. They're on a minimal schedule, mm-hmm. and I think this is as much demand as it is anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were canceling the rest of their U.S. flights uh, until May uh, 22nd, I believe it was. Uh, your thoughts on what is happening south of the border in this call? Well, I mean, for Trump, what we know is he's just so focused on the election, and he's trying to return to themes that he saw was, you yeah. know, helped make him president in 2016. Yeah. I mean, the irony is, in, in some ways, there is very little immigration into the U.S. right now. Uh, even yeah. even the number of illegal immigrants coming in from the you know from uh, Mexico has dropped dramatically, and. Uh, so it's uh, you know so there's it, this is basically rhetoric that doesn't conform to what has actually happened. I don't know how much more he can cut off, and then of course he's going to run into one little problem uh, with the economy, especially the food industry. And the United States, you know, probably uh, in the basic food industry in terms of you know uh, picking vegetables and fruits and working in and, and particularly in the poultry industry, probably seventy five percent of the workers are illegal immigrants. And and uh, mm. I think you know if he if he cuts off that you know the flow that some of them have to be they have to be augmented and uh, you know, of course and I mean industry has been quite happy to hire these illegal immigrants because basically um, people who've you know been brought up in the U S you know do not find the uh, conditions in a chicken uh, factory uh, very appetite very interesting and they're paid little yeah. money and it's not nice work so they have to rely on you know people like uh, illegal for the most part, right now, illegal immigrants who who have really no other choice, and certainly it's better than where the, you know it's a better situation than where they came from. We so certainly the, know that it, that immigration plays a large part, especially in the seasonal farming industry. Exactly. We see that in the Niagara Peninsula as yeah. well. So, what is this going to mean for food production in the United States? Because speaking of the timing of this, obviously right. the timing is centering around those that are coming in to do farm work uh, during this growing season. What does that mean for their food chain and yeah, our other Americans? Eventually, I mean, the real part will be harvest because that's that's where they really need these people. So if we go into, you know, the harvest seasons, and of course, uh, I'm not sure exactly when we start to get the stuff from California. I don't even know if we're getting the cow, if this is the point at which we're getting California vegetables. Maybe we are. Uh, and, but, but, but when they go, when the U.S. goes into the major harvest seasons in the various parts of the, of the country, they have got to have that labor and they've got to pick, you know, you've got to pick the crops when they're ready and you can't sort of, Say well, I'll do it next week or two weeks from now. When they're ready, they're ready, and you've got to pick them. And uh, so they got to have the people in force who are just going to, uh, you know, grab the, you know, do them. And so they, they, or I mean, I think there's already been some programs in the U.S. about certain farms are already experiencing um, in the U.S. shortages. And of course, the shortages are really basically the illegal immigrants. So it is very ironic. I mean, you know, he he lives, you know, does. Trump and his language does not live in the world, you know, the world of the real world of the United States. He really appeals to sort of the the hopes and dreams of of, of his base, who really, um, you know, have a, a not a, a really clear understanding of the way the United States works, or it, their understanding is how the United States used to work uh, 60, 70 years ago, but it doesn't work that way anymore. 
Uh, we've talked before about how leaders are made, uh, made and, and I guess and, and, and broken at, the, at times like this. Uh, this is what defines a lot of leaders. As you mentioned, uh, we've mentioned before, uh, most of the time polls go up in favor of the leaders during this time uh, as they guide their nations through all of this. How important is it how we get out of this as much uh, as how we got into it? In other words, how important is the last six or eight weeks, the next six or eight weeks, of this, uh, how are they just as valuable as the first six weeks coming into it? As far as a leader well, and, and getting be, us out I mean, of this safely, they have safely. to be careful that uh, they they you know they uh, they open up uh, in a way that doesn't produce a, a strong second wave. Uh, many people have talked about how with the Spanish influenza, the second wave was worse than the first wave, uh, and uh, you know we don't that would be actually a catastrophe, uh, you know, bigger catastrophe than what we've already had. Uh, now, some other people who've looked at the situation uh, have said that, well, we may have to go through a situation of where we open up and then we have to pull back, maybe not pull back completely. So it's like two steps forward, one step back type of situation over a year or two. So I don't, I don't really know which, which, you know, which way, you know, we're actually going to wind up. Are we going to wind up, open it uh, slowly and not have a big second wave? But that's going to take a lot of discipline on the part of people. I don't. That discipline in the U.S. I think is lacking. Probably we might be able to get a, you know, be able to do it here in Canada. But uh, then, but they may basically also have to uh, have a situation where they do the two steps forward, one step backward, and people have to get used to that. But uh, yeah, it's it's a tricky situation, no doubt. And actually, the leaders who are on the firing line and so far have been doing so beautifully have been the governors, both Republicans and Democrats in the United States. They're the ones mm. who have to really deal with the problem, uh, you know, because they, they're on the firing line. Uh, it, it, they're very close to the people that they uh, that they they represent. Um, you know, Trump can stay holed up in the White House, but if you're the governor. You know, the governor of a, of a state, you're in the state capital, and the people can get at you pretty quickly. So yeah. it's, it's, they're the ones who are really looking looking very good. So, I mean, it's, it's been very impressive when I've been watching U.S. TV. I don't listen to Trump, but I try to, you know, hit the channels that are showing me what interviews with the governors and, and talk about what's going on in the states. And I find that very instructive. Henry Jasek has been with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Henry, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be safe. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.